I remember one company invited me in, and before I was in the room to teach the staff, the boss took me aside and said, yeah, but just don't make them too relaxed. He thought that the meditation would make his staff less efficient. I think he had this image that they'd turn into zombies or something, or that they would be hypnotized, or that they would just be so chilled that they would get less done. And I explained to him about mental focus and how doing these techniques will only make you more efficient rather than less efficient. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders. Rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. If you are looking to boost productivity in the workplace, perhaps speaking to a monk isn't the first idea you'd have. Yet when you apply mindfulness in the workplace, it will do exactly that and reduce stress levels and make you happier in the process. The guest that we're bringing to you in this special episode, which is actually a video recording that we have within our mentoring series, is going to be released for the first time to the public on this podcast with none other than Gilong Tubton. Now, Tubton is a Buddhist monk who has shared the wisdom that he has learned to apply mindfulness in schools, in the workplace, and on stages around the world. He shares his wisdom and is able to inspire people to apply this, not in a way that it takes you into a cave and makes you meditate for hours, but how do you apply these concepts in our everyday lives? And this is exactly what you're going to learn today. Techniques that you'll learn will not only be something that can integrate to your existing routines and apply that mindfulness there, but you will quickly learn how you can simply take things such as a five-minute break when apply these concepts of mindfulness and find yourself being able to accomplish so much more with less stress, giving you back more time in the day. And Tubton has been the one who has taught the cast of Doctor Strange on Eastern philosophies, you know, that famous Marvel movie. So he is one of the best teachers when it comes to mindfulness. And you are in for a treat in this special release where you're not only going to go and learn all these concepts, but we're going to include an amazing meditation towards the end of it. So listen to this episode. And when we get to the meditation part, be sure to park your car, be in a place where you can be focused, be at home if it's best, because you'll be able to actually get a taste of what happens when you put this episode exercise into practice. Let's get started. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Tubton, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to have you on this because we've known each other, I think, now for three years. Yeah. Every time you've come to the stage and you've shared your wisdom with the audience, it's always been one of the top rated topics. That's great. And I think there's this mystery around the topic of mindfulness. It's a big word. Although today, not as taboo as before, I'd love for you to be able to maybe share with us, if for people that are hearing this word, what would be a way that you would describe it? Well, it's training for the mind. And of course, it's meditation. But I think the word meditation maybe has spiritual connotations, Buddhist connotations, which for some people is great, but for some people not. So mindfulness as a word has a more neutral tone. And actually, it's the same thing. It's about training the mind in mental focus, stress reduction, how to deal differently with our thoughts. And it has an amazing role in the workplace. But as you mentioned, maybe 20 years ago, people didn't think that connection was there, but it is. 
And I'd love for you to take us back in time because I can't even imagine what it was 20 years ago. What were the kinds of conversations you've had to had with the people when you would tell them that I think I can solve problems in the workplace through mindfulness and meditation? I've been teaching for more than 20 years and there were a few companies in those days in London and other cities that asked me to come in. They were interested in how this could work for them. People didn't know what it was really. And I remember one company inviting me in and before I was in the room to teach the staff, the boss took me aside and said, yeah, but just don't make them too relaxed. He thought that the meditation would make his staff less efficient. I think he had this image that they'd turn into zombies or something, or that they would be hypnotized, or that they would just be so chilled that they would get less done. And I explained to him about mental focus and how doing these techniques will only make you more efficient rather than less efficient. But I think that confusion was there in the early days where people thought, okay, mindfulness is for people in spiritual environments, or it's something you have to do on a mountaintop or in a retreat or a cave or a monastery. What's it got to do with the workplace? But slowly people started to understand the benefits of reducing stress and the benefits of increasing clarity and focus. And now they really understand that mindfulness makes you more productive and it has a very strong role in a working environment. Would you agree that like in the last 20 years, there's been more of an acceptance in the meditation as a practice? Is it just because there's more research around meditation or has there been changes in the way that we do work? I think there are a few reasons. I think one reason it's become more popular is, as you mentioned, the research. So yes, there's been a lot of neuroscience backing. They have done scans on people who meditate and they've shown that the brain is healthier. So that information is out there now and people know that it's been proved that mindfulness works. It definitely makes your brain healthier. So it's a bit like going for a run or going to the gym. It's good for your body. Well, this is good for your mind. And the evidence is strong and people know that. So that's made it more popular. I think also the language used to describe the techniques is much more psychological and work-based and professional. You know, we're not using spiritual terminology or even particularly Buddhist terminology. So that's made the whole thing more accessible. People can relate to it more easily. But I also think we're more stressed. I do. I think we're more stressed and more busy than ever. People are more open to talking about that. When I started to teach all those years ago, people were kind of embarrassed to come to the class, especially leaders, because they thought, oh, if I go to that class, it means that there's something wrong with me. If I admit I'm stressed, it means I've failed. And so I had to give like secret classes to those people because they didn't want other people in the company to find out that they were trying mindfulness. But now that's changed. Now everybody is much more open about it. People are happy to say I'm stressed, which is sad that we've become more stressed, but at least we're talking about it. Would you say that the rise of like smartphones has been the biggest contributor to the stress factor? Or are there other major things that have changed? Well, I think we have sped up, haven't we? We've got more technology, which in one way has made our systems move more swiftly and more smoothly, but it's made our minds more distracted. There's more pressure. It's almost as if we're now expected to work at the same speed as our computers. So every time there's an upgrade on the computer or the phone, we're running behind that upgrade trying to keep up. We don't have that mental speed. We weren't designed to be working at that level of speed and efficiency. 
So we're running behind it, exhausted. You've worked with countless people over these years. I'd be curious to hear what would happen with these executives that would set these secret meetings with you. What would be the biggest change that would happen in their environment within the workplace? Is it a question of a different attitude in the way they approach work or have they been able to see tangible results on how their productivity changed? Yeah, because they are meditating regularly and then bringing down their stress, that's going to change everything. Because if you're less stressed, you can achieve more and you can be happier and your effect on other people will be different. So if you are a leader or in charge of any kind of team and you're stressed, then you're affecting everybody around you. So it becomes a really unhappy place to work. But when people learn to manage their own stress levels, they have a better experience in the workplace for themselves and others. I think mindfulness reduces stress, but it also increases mental focus. So that's the key point. I think in the old days, people wondered if they needed their stress. Maybe they thought reducing stress would make them less efficient. They didn't maybe realize that reducing stress and building mental focus creates a much more productive working environment. It throws me back to the times, probably more in college than in the workplace, where I would always wait last minute to get projects done. And I would almost use the stress as a boost in productivity. How would this be different if I would have applied or been aware of, because I would have not been aware of mindfulness practices at the time. How would it have changed my behavior possibly in those scenarios? I just think you would have been able to pace yourself more and actually get more done. I've worked to deadlines also, but I find that my work isn't necessarily as good as it could be if I'd given myself more time, if I'd been more calm and more focused when doing it. I just think it's about having a healthier brain activity so that you can do things more fully and more completely. The more things we're doing simultaneously, all this multitasking, the more we end up doing everything badly instead of one thing well. That's true. And I think there's been some research that has proven that multitasking, it doesn't work. We just switch from one task to another task very rapidly. And it, as you said, makes us do poor work. Yeah, research has shown that multitasking makes you less efficient because you are less focused and more likely to make mistakes. You're thinking less clearly and you're just overloaded. And so for people that are watching this and they're understanding there's some massive benefits here from the mindfulness practice, but if we expand that beyond the workplace, we're talking about just being able to be more present in time. What would be some of the things that happen in other areas besides the workplace when people start embracing these kinds of techniques? And for everybody watching, we're going to be sharing some of these techniques that you'll be able to practice yourself towards the end of this interview. But I do want to expand on things beyond the workplace here as well. Yeah, so I do think we are more absent than ever. We're always somewhere else. Now, when we're eating our lunch, we look at other people's food on Instagram. I mean, we're always somewhere else, aren't we? So what about learning to be in the moment and to fully embrace the moment and enjoy the moment? Because we're so distracted, which means that we're never really aware of what's happening. We're constantly thinking ahead or thinking back. We miss the moment. So learning to be present means we can enjoy our life. We can enjoy our time off. Otherwise, time off is just recovery from work. That's not a way to live. Work, recover, work, recover. The work-life balance is that everything becomes part of the journey and everything becomes inspiring. We talked about how the rise of technology in the workplace is making us even more distracted. 
it almost seems like this whole world shifting to more consumerism, materialism. You're seeing a lot more like all these ads are coming all the place. Companies are even doing a better job at being able to get our attention all the time. And it's almost what's crazing this craziness, this chaos or this busyness that we seem to never be able to get over. It seems like mindfulness is a possible panacea for something like this. Well, I think our attention is our most valuable commodity and it's stolen all the time. And if we can reclaim our attention, then we can maintain some kind of mental independence. I'm not against technology or advertising or any of that. I just think we need balance and we need to learn the kind of mental freedom so that we don't get constantly sucked into the screen in front of us. So would you say that by practicing some of these mindfulness techniques and what we're about to learn through meditation today is basically a way of regaining your freedom from just being carried by the current of all these things that try to get your attention. I think so. And I think it's also about learning to manage our thoughts differently. You see, that was another misconception I came across is that people thought meditation is about clearing the mind, emptying the mind, blanking out the mind. So they had this image that if you meditated, you'd have no thoughts and then you'd be kind of stupid and nothing going on. And that's not true. It's actually about managing your thoughts differently. I think what's really fascinating is to sit down and discover that we are not as in control of ourselves as we thought. And how can we learn techniques to become more the master of our own thoughts and emotions and be less driven by negative thoughts, worries, fears, insecurity. It's amazing how our mind takes us all over the place and we say and do things that we then regret. Can we change that picture and become kind of our own boss mentally. So I'd love to step into what exactly would be an experience of going through a meditation. And you've touched on it right now a little bit where, you know, the conception being, oh, I'm supposed to clear the mind. And what I want to touch on here is the fact that some people are like, you know what, I just can't meditate. Well, people who say that are maybe coming from that perspective of clearing the mind. And so then you sit down and try and clear the mind and you can't, and then you think I can't meditate. But the problem is, the preconceived idea that it's about clearing the mind and it's not. So what is it? It's about focusing the mind. It's about training in mental focus. And so a very simple meditation technique is to focus on your own breathing. And it sounds simple, but it's not because you focus on your breathing and then within seconds you start to think about other stuff. But that's where the work starts because when your mind wanders, you can bring your attention back to your breathing it wanders, it gets distracted, you bring it back. Every time you bring your attention back to your breathing, you're achieving two things. You're training in mental focus because you're focusing on the now, the present moment, and you're learning to let go of the thought that took you away. So you're training in that mental agility or flexibility around being able to choose where your mind is going. And that's like an exercise, it's like lifting weights. If you lift weights, you're gonna have muscle. It's the same with the mind. So in essence, you're doing these two things, you're bringing your thoughts back and you're letting go. Is that all there is to it? Well, I think what's really effective is to do that for five or 10 minutes every day, like a formal meditation training every morning or every evening, but also to practice tiny moments of mindfulness during a working day. So that's much more integrated with the busyness of life. I teach people who work in really busy offices with hundreds of people in one room, and I explain to them how they can take a mindful moment in the middle of a busy situation many times a day by, say, feeling the chair under their body 
or feeling the ground under their feet. The really interesting thing about our brain is that it can focus on two things at the same time normally. Like you can drive a car and speak to your passenger simultaneously. We can do that kind of multitasking. But interestingly, you cannot focus on one of your senses, like the sense of touch, feeling the ground under you or the chair under you, and think at the same time. The brain can only do one or the other. So if you do the mindful moment, you are bringing down your stress. You are getting away from your thoughts. You're getting out of your head and into your body. And practicing that in small little drops throughout the day, like drip feeding the mindfulness throughout the day, is really effective. Combined with daily meditation, those two together are a really thorough training. I'd love to talk more about these individually. Let's talk about these mindful moments here. If I'm someone that would be looking to incorporate this within my daily routine, right? What are ways for me to get started? Like you already talked about feeling the chair. Can you walk through examples of people that you've worked with that have started implementing these and what were the best ways they started keeping mindful of not forgetting to do these? Well, that's the thing. It's easy to do, but it's hard to remember to do it. So I often recommend that people start with very specific things. For example, you could choose two actions and decide to do those two things mindfully for 10 days or a week or even a month. And then you've got two very specific things to focus on. For example, washing your hands, brushing your teeth, or eating or drinking tea. I mean, simple things that you do every day. And you decide when I'm doing those things, I will do them mindfully. So you've just got two very specific hooks to hang your practice on. Say it's washing your hands. So you're washing your hands mindfully, which means you're doing the same thing physically, moving your hands under the water with the soap, but you're feeling it. You're completely feeling the moment and paying attention to what's happening right now. Eating, you would feel the food, tasting, chewing, swallowing, just that moment. But these are small moments that you do many times a day. So I would say starting with two very specific actions and then getting used to it that way and then widening it out to doing it many times a day wherever you are. It's like a way of building a habit. So as I'm applying this, and I know for me, one of the ones that I know I would struggle the most is the eating. Because as I'm eating, I feel like I'm having a conversation or I'm checking my phone. I'd say for me, an easier one to start with would be washing my hands and be doing it more mindfully. I feel like I'm aware of the times that I have done it more mindfully. But I guess I'd want to understand if I decide to adopt this practice, how will I expect my life to change from that one action? Because some people are like, why should I be even doing this? Well, because you are bringing down your stress levels. Because when you go into a mindful state, you are literally reducing the flow of cortisol in your body. So our brain is designed for survival. The amygdala, which is the part of the brain that is all about stress, fires off that fight or flight reaction every time we're under pressure. So when we're under pressure, the brain causes the release of cortisol in the body. We don't need all that cortisol. We only need it if we're in real danger. So if we're being chased by a tiger or a lion, that's the fight or flight reaction that gets us to safety. But just sitting behind a desk, working in an office all day, of course we're under pressure, but we're not in physical danger. But the body still produces that cortisol every time the phone rings, every time an email comes through. The body is producing cortisol because it feels the pressure. That cortisol makes us tired. It makes us feel depleted. So the more cortisol we have, the more tired we become, then we start drinking loads of coffee, eating lots of sugar, just trying to get ourselves to feel energized again, but it doesn't work because we're caught in a cycle of exhaustion. So washing your hands mindfully 
many times a day, little mindful moments. I'm not saying wash your hands a hundred times a day. I'm just saying practice mindful moments many times a day literally brings down the cortisol. It gets that amygdala to be less overreactive. So you are bringing yourself into a stress-free state many times a day. And this makes you more focused, less stressed, and more happy. You know, as we have stress levels that build up in the workplace, you're talking about something here that's so simple is just in the process of washing your hands. And I know for me, just listening to this, I realized that there's so many of these micro moments that I could use to level down my stress levels. And if I look at times when I'm doing things such as events, it becomes very stressful for me. And I don't know what exactly a rise in cortisol level is, but I think I have a feeling because I remember these moments where I'm feeling the tension and everything. And I realized that to solve that, I've always had tools at my disposal that I wasn't aware of, which is just taking those moments to be mindful. What you would see is just a knockdown in the level of stress that you feel. And it makes you even more productive when you get back to your work routine. I find it gives me energy. For me, it's a bit like charging up my cell phone. It's like putting some more juice in the battery. I have really busy days. I'm teaching a lot. I'm giving classes. I'm giving speeches. I'm traveling. And so if I do these mindful moments throughout the day, it's like it recharges my energy in small little boosts throughout the day. Just feeling the ground under my feet when I'm standing in an airport is enough or being aware of my shoulders or my hands or my fingers or the chair under my body, just going into that momentary mindfulness. While you're busy, you're not taking time out, you're in the moment. You can be talking, you can be doing anything and you can do this and it just takes care of the stress under the surface. I love it. There's times where people even generate stress because they need to wait for something like the elevator but you have an interesting way of turning this around into a positive. Yeah, I would say a really powerful mindfulness practice is to be mindful when you're waiting for things. So you're stuck in traffic, you're standing in line, you are pushing the button for the elevator, you are waiting for something to download on your phone, opening an attachment or an email. All these little moments of waiting are moments when we get stressed or anxious or frustrated or the cortisol is building up. Well, if you practice mindfulness in those moments, you're teaching yourself to be mindful in the middle of stress. And that can become a habit. That can become something that changes your default state from pressure to calm. And also it means that you're using the things in your life which normally are uncomfortable. You're using them for developing yourself. So you become more interested in how you can work with resistance. And that's how you build resilience. Amazing. What you really want to take away from here is the fact that these micro moments that already happen in your life are all periods that you can apply mindfulness. It'll reduce the stress levels. And even in the times that you used to feel stress in times that you were forced to wait, look at them as opportunities that you can apply even more mindfulness, which will make you feel more energized and ready for the day. I want to switch over to the more set periods of mindfulness and meditation that you spoke of. We're talking here, you said minimum five minutes, and should we be looking to extend this as long as possible? Just share us more about it. I will start with five minutes, because if you force yourself to do big, long sessions from day one, you're going to crash and burn. You know, you're going to try it for like 20 minutes, 30 minutes or an hour, and then you'll never do it again because it's too much. It's better to start small and build up. So starting with five minutes a day for a week or 10 days, and then extending it to 10 minutes is really good. 15 minutes eventually, or 20 minutes. But the really interesting thing is that when they've done MRI scans and EEGs on people who do mindfulness, they've shown that even after four days 
of doing 10 minutes a day, there are brain changes. You might not feel that after four days, but it's happening inside your brain. So that shows that 10 minutes a day is enough as a baseline, and then you can build from there. And I would say it's good to do it in the morning, because in the morning, our cortisol levels are highest. Most people wake up with an alarm clock. What does that mean? It means you're shocked awake. So sure, we have to get up with an alarm, but why not bring down the cortisol, bring down the stress, so you start your day right. So imagine starting your day with five or 10 minutes of mindfulness. It means that you're beginning your day in a way that you want it to continue. So you start with calm and focus. That's the launch pad for your day. Having said that, for some people, the morning is crazy. It's impossible. You've got to get the kids ready for school, and then you've got to go to work. So do it in the evening. I sometimes recommend people find a time during their working day, a break where they can go and practice mindfulness in a breakout room or something, or when you get home from work. Say you get home from work, you put your keys down, you do 10 minutes of mindfulness, and then you start your evening. That's another thing you could do. It can be done any time of the day, but every day is the best. Interesting. I feel like for people that are very, let's say, process-oriented type of people, there's almost an obsession about trying to make sure that I'm doing the best kind of meditation for the best length and the best time of the day. Because even my mind is thinking like, okay, should I be doing five minutes in the morning, then five minutes in the evening, or should I be doing 10 minutes in the morning? I feel like there's this sense of trying to be an overachiever when it comes to just trying to start a meditation practice. How do I stop this overwhelm and, and just start the habit? Well, there's a good side and a bad side to that. The good side is that kind of mentality is quite disciplined. And you do need discipline to practice mindfulness. You do need to do it regularly. So use that achievement part of you to get yourself to do it every day. But the downside is when we are grasping after results. You know, I've done three days of this. Is it working yet? Inputs and outputs. I put this in. What am I getting out? And that grasping or that expectation is precisely what stops it working because we're always looking for results and we're impatient and we're not willing to give it time. So I think use the discipline to get yourself to do it, but then really let go of hoping it will work. Just do it. A bit like exercise. You know, if you go to the gym, you're not going to have a six pack after three days, but you go to the gym every day and then slowly the muscles start to build. There needs to be a kind of patience there. So you can push yourself but also not have mental pushing. We use the gym example, and I think it's a relevant comparison because we're training the mind example like a muscle. But when you go to the gym and you go in and train, like you finish and you're like, wow, my arms are exhausted. I am sweating. And I think for a lot of people, especially in the hyper-productive, demanding workplace, it's like, oh, I'm using five minutes to do nothing. I'm wasting time. I don't feel like I've done work per se. And I think for some people, they still have resistance to wanting to get into it because like, I could have answered two emails. So how do we break through that resistance? I think by reading up about some of the neuroscience and knowing, oh, this really does reduce cortisol, it increases focus, it helps with memory. Knowing that means that you don't feel that you're doing five minutes of nothing. You're doing five minutes that's going to train your mind so that you have more efficiency, more resilience, all of those things. So knowing the background science behind it helps you to want to do it more. Otherwise, you're going to think, well, is it even working? I don't know. But reading about it, hearing about it, studying a little bit about it gives you that faith in what you're doing. 
Brilliant. I want to push on this a lot because I know some people that might be watching this. Again, if you're coming from a management position and you want to bring these kinds of practices in the workplace, I want you to fully understand that when you do start applying these moments of meditation, including a practice of meditation, it is something that is effective. You don't want to get discouraged. And I love the fact that there's so much research now today that can help those people that really need the concrete evidence to take that kind of action. And so when it comes to actually doing these meditations. We're talking about the set practice here. I believe you're going to be able to help us through a guided practice for five minutes that people can get started with. Yeah. Could you walk us through what people will expect once they go and listen to this separate track? So you can do this sitting on a chair. You can be sitting on a chair with a straight back and you're then focusing on your own breathing. And of course, that's really difficult. Sounds simple, but it's not. You focus on your breathing. And then within a few seconds, the mind starts making shopping lists or writing emails or all kinds of other stuff. And that shows you how untrained our minds are. We can't even keep our mind still for longer than three seconds. But that's when the work starts. Your mind wanders, and then you bring your attention back to the breath. Your mind wanders again, and you don't even notice it wandering, but you realize a few minutes later, and then you just gently bring it back. And the training is all about bringing yourself back to the breath again and again. What that does is reduces stress and increases focus, but it also gets you to have a different relationship with your thoughts. You see, I think we're too driven by our thoughts and emotions. Our mind often does stuff we don't want it to do. It won't do what we want it to do. So we need to become more in charge of our own minds. And every time you bring your attention back to your breath, you are gaining that mastery over your thoughts and emotions. So it's not about clearing the mind, but it's about making a decision to bring your attention back when it disappears. And so for five minutes or 10 minutes, you would do that again and again. And there's a sense of discipline that you're going to do the 10 minutes no matter what. You're not going to do like three minutes and then decide to go off and do something else. You're going to stick with it. And doing this every day builds up and trains you and helps you to become more stable. And so for the people that are starting this off, they start the five minutes. At what point would you realize that you're ready to increase it to 10 minutes? When you're managing to do five minutes every day. You know, it's the discipline of doing five minutes a day and you can do it. It's not about quality, oh, I'm doing it well or anything. It's just doing it. And after, say, seven days or 10 days, you've done five minutes every day, then you can start doing 10 minutes a day. I think it's good to ramp it up to 10 minutes and then maybe 15 or 20, but slowly over time. What about the people that are overachievers and they're like, I understand this. I understand the science. I'm ready to go deep. Now I'm going to go and do a two hour meditation or even as we've discussed about this, how I could go and do a retreat for 10 days, meditate, solve all my problems, and then I'll come back and I'm going to be ready to see the world. What pattern do you see for people that do that? They crash and burn. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you could do two hours but then you're not going to do it again the next day because it was so hard. It was so stressful. I say it's better to build up slowly, just like exercise. If somebody's really unfit, it would be crazy for them to jump in a swimming pool and swim a hundred lengths. They shouldn't. It would probably give them a heart attack. So meditation is not going to give you a heart attack, but it's about easing your way into it gradually so that you don't take on more than you're able to, because otherwise you won't do it every day. So it's about building it up very, very slowly. And that way you can be sustainable rather than just crashing and burning by doing too much and then never doing it again. So build it up slowly is really the best way. And I think the word you've used a few times that is worth repeating is just having a patience with yourself to build the practice. Yeah. What about dealing with disappointment? Because some people, if the thoughts keep going out, you're like, am I doing this wrong? How do you manage that relationship with yourself, you could say? 
I think by realizing that your thoughts are the very thing that enable you to come back to your breathing. So there's nothing wrong with them. I think it's important to stop seeing thoughts as our enemy. Again, it's back to that notion of clearing the mind. That's not the point. And if you're trying to clear the mind, you're seeing the thoughts as a problem. But if you realize that the whole point is to keep coming back to the breath, then thoughts are the thing that enable that. So you don't feel that having a busy mind is an enemy to your meditation or a problem. It's just part of the process. And it's not like it just gets better and better like a graph going up. Some days your mind feels completely crazy. Sometimes you feel like you're falling asleep. It goes all over the place. But over time, you just start to feel that you have more ability to come back to the breath. And the knock-on effect is that in your daily life, you feel more calm you feel more focused, you feel more energized. The results creep up on you slowly, just like with physical exercise. Amazing. So we've talked about the benefits from a perspective of stress reduction, getting out of that fight or flight response. We talked about the mental focus and you know, most of the people working in a knowledge economy need that mental focus to be able to work on creative, complex problems. And again, meditations research has also been showing that this helps tremendously. And I know you speak a lot about how it actually helps with interpersonal relationship. I mean, when you look at workplace dynamics and dealing with colleagues, it's not always sunshines and rainbows. There's often potential workplace conflicts. How would mindfulness and meditation play into supporting the dissolution of those? Well, I would say that most of our stress is to do with our relationships, isn't it? It's to do with professional relationships and what happens when you go home. The way we interact with each other, the way people talk to us, what they do, what they say affects us so strongly. And that's what makes us feel depleted, worn out, irritable, anxious, or insecure. So the role of mindfulness there is to teach us to be less affected by others, to be less wound up by others, because we're able to maintain our calm. So if somebody is acting in a way that makes us feel uncomfortable, maybe there are some situations where it's toxic and it's abusive and we need to speak out or we need changes to take place. But generally, it's more that we just are feeling irritated or feeling somehow stressed by it. And if you do a lot of mindfulness, you're learning not to react. You're learning to just let go. You're learning to not get affected by things. You can maintain your sense of inner calm. But also, the interesting thing about doing these techniques is it helps you to understand the human condition. It really helps you to understand that the human mind is something kind of unstable. You know, we have all these thoughts and emotions that take us in all kinds of directions. And we often find ourselves doing or saying stuff that we then regret. Like we say something and think, oh, why did I say it? So that shows you that we don't really mean it. We're not deliberately out to get people, but we often lose our temper or we say and do stuff that affects other people. So others are doing the same. So when you understand this about yourself, you understand it about others. And when others behave in a way that you feel they're out to get me, they're trying to hurt me, maybe that's not true. Maybe it's just that they're stressed and we happen to be standing in front of it. So we don't need to feel attacked by them. We could forgive. And forgiveness isn't a weakness. It doesn't mean you're condoning what they do or letting them walk all over you. It just means you don't have to be affected. You can just let it go and think, yeah, that's their stress and you feel compassion for them and you don't have to react or take revenge or feel hurt. You can just let it go. I do find that I work with teams a lot and teaching them mindfulness and they report back to me that they're getting along better. There's more cohesion. They're blaming each other less when things go wrong. They're able to forgive each other for their little human weaknesses or quirks. People have these different personalities. We've got to accept that. 
One of the things I'd love to bring this towards a close is most people haven't seen a monk come into the workplace to train mindfulness. I'd be really interested on what brought you into this kind of place where you see a need in the workplace for people to learn these techniques. So what's your vision and what drives you to bring this message to the workplaces and to the world? I became a monk 26 years ago through enormous amounts of stress. I basically had a burnout through being too stressed. And then I went to a monastery and became a monk. I'm not saying that's the expected route for everybody, that you have to kind of end up in a monastery, but for me it was. And I found that the meditation really healed the problem. It helped me to get better physically and mentally. So I discovered the benefits of this for myself and then wanted to help other people. And I really wanted to not spread a religious message and try to turn everyone into Buddhists. That's not the aim at all. I just wanted to get out there and help people. And I felt that this tool is so valuable and can help so many people. So I started to go into schools and hospitals and prisons and eventually the corporate world. And now I'm doing that a lot. I mean, now there's a huge appetite for it. And what drives me is I want to help people to manage their minds better because I think if people learn to do that, then society becomes a better place. I think internal peace leads to peace around us. So it is about making a healthier, happier society. And this is one of the things I love the most about your presence and how you communicate your message is there's just so much relatability to yeah. you. You've went through a journey and, you know, most people, I think, almost find that monks might not be approachable. They think that it's a completely different universe, but you're really showing us the best techniques. And before we go to a close, you mentioned one thing, which I do want to make sure we get to address is this whole religious or spiritual attachments around the practice, what would you say to some people who feel that these techniques might go against any kind of cultural, religious, or spiritual practices or beliefs they currently have? I don't see how they can go against it because all you're doing is focusing on your breathing and you're bringing down your stress and increasing mental focus. That has nothing to do with religion at all. It's simply a faculty of the brain, which we could all learn and it would make us into healthier, happier people. So this has nothing to do with religion, but then of course some people use meditation in a religious way if they want to. It's all about how you use it. And I think it's available to everybody. So let's all do this and become happier, more grounded, more positive people. Tipton, thank you so much for your time. I want to wrap this up for everybody. So what you've noticed in this episode is we spent a lot of time looking at mindfulness and meditation from different angles and really making sure that you fully understand the benefits that come from it. We've covered the fact that stress levels going down, getting out of that fight or flight response. We're talking about getting more mental focus, more clarity to bring out your creativity in the workplace. And we're talking about healing interpersonal relationships within the workplace all three critical things that support the growth of the organization, the increase of productivity within the organization. And how is it done? Well, we shared two big systems here. One of them is mindful moments. Every time in the day, there are moments that you can apply a mindful moment, whether it's washing your hands, you're talking about when you eat, you're talking about just being present and feeling the chair as you're sitting. Doing these micro moments throughout the day will reduce your stress levels, reduce the cortisol levels, making you even more productive day in and day out. So you're talking about activities that don't even take time, but if you spend the mental attention to being mindful in those moments, will make you so much more productive. And second, we talked about bringing a mindfulness practice as a daily thing. And you're going to see the additional video that we're putting together where Gil and Tipton is going to walk you through how 
You can do a five-minute practice guided by him. So this can get you started on a routine. And just applying this routine, you'll see you have so much more resilience and you're going to see a numerous amounts of benefits come into your life by applying mindfulness. And once you've seen this routine for five minutes be established, you can increase it to 10 minutes and the benefits keep going the more that you apply it. And so this is not a practice that takes away any time for somebody that is busy. This is a tool that gives you back your freedom by being more mindful, more in control of your thoughts, and being able to have more free time in your day, being more productive. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, everybody, this is the portion where we're going to transition towards making you experience this mindfulness practice that Tugton shares in the episode. We would advise that you are actually in the comfort of your home and you make sure to listen to this when you can be present, when you can actually not operate any kind of machinery so that you're in a safe space. And if you want to listen to this meditation at any time, know that it will always be available to you on Mindvalley's own app, omvana, that's O-M-V-A-N-A.com, where you can find it and continue using this practice. So if you are ready, we're about to start the meditation portion, so make sure you're sitting down, eyes are ready to be closed in the portion of the meditation, and you are not having any distractions. And if you're not able to do that now, you can pause the podcast and come back to this later. This is a five-minute mindfulness exercise. You can do this seated in a chair. Sit nice and straight, your back is straight, and you're comfortable but balanced in your posture. Your feet are flat on the ground, parallel. Your hands are placed palms down on your knees or on the tops of your legs. Start the session by setting an intention. Set the intention that you're going to meditate for your own benefit, but also the benefit of others. If you meditate more, your stress levels will go down, your mental focus will increase, and this will help you and those around you. So just remind yourself of that intention. Now become aware of your body. Feel the chair underneath your body. Feel the contact between your body and the seat. Shift your focus to your hands. Be aware of your hands resting on your legs. Feel the texture of the fabric of your clothing under your skin as your fingers and palms rest against your legs. Now be aware of your shoulders. Maybe your shoulders are tense, maybe they're not tense. Either way is fine. Now start to be aware of your own breathing. Breathe naturally, without effort. Just normal breathing, but try to feel it in your body. Feel how your body moves with each breath.
when your mind wanders, keep returning to the breath. Gently bring your attention back to the feeling of breathing in your body. Bring your focus up to your face. Feel the air moving in and out of your nostrils, breathing without effort. If your nose is blocked, then feel the air against your lips as you breathe through your mouth. When you lose focus, gently bring your attention back to your breath. Now to conclude the session, focus on your body again for a few moments. Feel the chair underneath you. Feel your hands. And end by making the mental commitment that you're going to meditate regularly for your benefit and the benefit of those around you. And stop there. What you just experienced was a short session of mindfulness, five minutes, and this is something you could try to practice every day and slowly build up to maybe 10 minutes and also it's important to practice little micro moments of meditation throughout the day, just when you're sitting still or standing or walking or washing your hands and just let this build up throughout your life. Thank you. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to this amazing special episode with Gilang Tupton. If you've enjoyed these practices where you bring mindfulness at work, be sure to leave us a review, let us know what you liked, and share this with friends who need to be a little more present and apply a little more mindfulness to make them more productive, less stressed, and happier in general. And of course, these episodes are always completely free. Make sure to share with friends so we can get more people to apply these ideas. This has been your host, Jason Campbell. Thank you so much for tuning in, and until next time. 
My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 